So, um, we know that in the very last verse of chapter 49, Jacob died. And um, you remember that he had left instructions and got commitments uh, from Joseph particularly that he would be, his bones would be taken back and buried in the line of Canaan with his ancestors, but especially because he trusted God's promise that that family would have ultimately come in to and possess the land of Canaan. So, chapter 50, verses 1 to 14. And Joseph fell on his father's face, and wept over him, and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now forty days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph and his brothers and his father's household. They left only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days mourning for his father. Now when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshold, threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. And his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for the burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Okay, so they have a great mourning for Jacob. For how long? 70 days. 70 days. I am told that the mourning for a Pharaoh lasted 72 days. So seven day, 70 days mourning showed great honor and respect being paid to Joseph's father. You know, it just gives you an idea of the impact Joseph had had and the respect they have for him. And then Joseph asked Pharaoh for permission to do what? Exactly. Remind you a little bit of what's going to happen later when they go up from Egypt in the Exodus. It kind of prefigures that. They're going to go up and bury him. And of course, Pharaoh says to do that, and so they all do. Uh, they leave their uh, possessions and, and their little ones, and they all go up. Lots of people, you know, a great morning. You know, the Canaanites see it, and they see this as just a an amazing morning of the Egyptians. And so they do exactly what Jacob had commanded his sons to do for him. They bury him in the land of Canaan. He is going, his bones will be there when the nation goes up later in the Exodus and conquers the land.
Comments and questions? Yes. Is, he, is the reason he asked Pharaoh if he can bury him where he asked is because they probably wanted to give him some really nice burial in a pyramid or something like that? No, I suspect it's that to take him out of the land of Egypt and go somewhere, he really needed permission. I mean, he's got a job working for the country. And I don't know if you were just allowed to just go to some other country whenever you wanted to without Pharaoh's permission. So I think it's more that. Good question. Other questions or comments? Is there anything significant about him being called Israel again after his death? Well, you know, I mean, there are times when I don't know that I can see much difference. Sometimes Israel may, you know, more stress the change, but sometimes it's like here, it seems to use them interchangeably. So, uh, maybe not. Good question. Other questions or comments? Was this where Leah was buried also? Yes. Yes. I believe so. 40, chapter 49, verse 31. Uh -huh. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. The one who wasn't buried there would have been Rachel because she was buried where she died in childbirth. In childbirth. Well, I don't have a whole lot to say about that section. That seems pretty straightforward to me. Just uh, no use belaboring the obvious, it seems to me. So uh, this next section, though, is uh, really interesting. Probably not what we would even have thought to expect unless we have uh, previously read it. So 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph, Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin for, the, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph went, wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, uh, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Well... Joseph's brothers saw that uh, Jacob was, was dead, and they, they're really concerned about something. What are they concerned about? They lost their buffer. Yes. You know, remember how Esau wasn't going to do anything to Jacob while Isaac was still alive. He's going to wait till Isaac died, and then he'd get revenge on him. They're worried that Joseph has just been biding his time during these 17 years. And now that Jacob's gone, now he can really take vengeance on them. What does that tell you about these brothers? We know a lot of times you think things will happen based upon maybe the way you might act if you were in that situation. That may well be the case. A lot of times our suspicions about other people really tell a lot about ourselves. You know, we wouldn't think they would if we wouldn't, probably. So that may be uh, the case. 
I think it also shows their guilty conscience. Uh, I think they still have really thought and, you know, maybe grieved about what they did wrong. I mean, do you ever feel that way? You ever, have you ever, like, apologized to somebody and you've, you've asked their forgiveness and they've forgiven you, and, but, but you just keep apologizing over and over again? Have you ever done that? You just feel so horrible about what you did. That you just don't seem to, you know, it's not what they're doing, it's just how you feel about it that keeps you just continuing to almost uh, annoyingly maybe, you know, uh, apologize. So I wondered if that could be it too. But what do they tell Joseph? That their father had told them what to, what to say. Yeah. That their father had said to tell Joseph to forgive them. Now, there's two ways of reading that. Either their father did do that and they're reporting it accurately or they made it up. It carries a little more weight coming from father. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to decide it. I would rather think he really said that. But, you know, probably more people would say they made it up. So I... Either way, it's interesting. Whether, whether they had gone to Jacob and gotten him to say that, or whether they made it up, it does show you that they think they need some weighty words from their deceased father to persuade Joseph not to do this. They really are worried about this. You know, this is, they really think now he'll take vengeance on them. And they even come to him and say, we're your servants. You know, we're slaves to you, do whatever. You know, kind of humiliating themselves before Joseph. And what's Joseph's answer? Well, I note that in the end of 17, he cries. You know, he, he weeps. And, I think, you know, that, that begs a why. I, I got to wonder if he's just not so so disappointed in their, that they would think that of him, disappointed in their little thinking about him. Or maybe even grieved at their being so troubled by this. Could he feel that way? Because I remember back in 45 when he revealed himself to them that he says in verse 5, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He seems to be really worried that this is going to bother them too much, which is an amazing feeling. You know, I think we would, even if we <coughs> forgave him, would say, I, I hope this really bothers you. You know, I mean, I'm going to forgive you, but I hope you don't get over it that quick. You know, Joseph is just the opposite. He's hoping that they aren't too troubled by this, and it doesn't weigh them down too much. Could he be gr just crying because he's thinking about how much this must be bothering them? I don't know. That may be too, too generous a, a thought. But. And then what does Joseph say to them? What does he say in 19? He doesn't think they should be afraid because he's not in God's place. What does that mean? It's God's place to judge them, not his. Yes! If somebody's going to punish sins, that's God's job. 
That is not something Joseph's going to do. He's not in God's place to take vengeance on them. If vengeance needs to be taken, God will take care of That's a good lesson. How many times do we want to take matters of justice into our own hands and, you know, we'll, we'll take care of it. Well, he sees that that's God's job and he's not going to usurp God's territory. And then in verse 20, what does Joseph say? Yeah. God turned this into something good. You know, this has the result of keeping you all alive. And so, you know, don't worry about it. It's amazing how Joseph sees the hand of God in everything that happens in his life. And that changes his perspective a lot. This is almost, this would be a great conclusion to the book. This would be almost a great, you know, theme verse. You meant, it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You know, how many times do we see that in Joseph's life especially? And in some ways throughout the book. I mean, you see God is guiding things. And things that, that seem like this is going to be a disaster, God turns around for good. Over and over again. It's just very encouraging to see that. You know, he doesn't sugar... He, he, doesn't, he doesn't act like they didn't do anything wrong. That's right. You know, he states that just clearly. Um, so I, I think that's interesting to note. Some some have called, I like this, some have called that Joseph here has uh, not 20-20 vision, but 50-20 vision. Genesis 50, verse 20. Uh, <laughs> you know, hindsight's uh, always 20-20. <laughs> so, so what, he sees 50-20, how would you phrase that then? Well, yeah, he has 50-20 vision. Uh, he's able to see the the past, or yeah, the past accurately now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. If you can see things in light of what God's doing, it changes your perspective, and it makes you so much less overwhelmed by the things that happen. You know, if something bad happens, you know God's in control. What think? Well, wonder what God's purpose is in this. Wonder what God's working in this. You know, somebody is mean to you, and you say, "Well, you know, God's behind this." Wonder what? How is He going to use this? You you become calmer, really. You know, we get so panicky and so emotional about everything that happens. I don't mean emotional like crying, but just like you know, angry and hurt and you know, just you know, overwhelmed and well. No, God's in charge. He's, he's got it under control. That perspective really alters your whole worldview. Comments and thoughts? Joseph, Joseph says, you don't need to be afraid. You know, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of your little ones. And it's so amazing. Not only does Joseph not take revenge, but he takes care of them. He's in a position to do that. But he doesn't, wouldn't have to, but he does. I mean, he's promising, I'll take care of you and your families. So Joseph is a great example of absolute forgiveness. <laughs> There's nothing, no, no hatchet, uh, only half buried there. All right, uh, 22 to 26. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household and Joseph lived 110 years. 
And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Okay. So, Joseph uh, dies at age 110, uh, able to see the third generation of Ephraim's sons. And what does he want done with his bones? Land of Canaan. When? When God brings them up. Yes. Which again shows great faith. And surely would have strengthened their faith. Joseph is absolutely convinced that God is going to make it to where one day they come up from the land of Egypt and take over the land of Canaan. He wants them to take his bones along. And so, really, this is a great bridge because it just leads right on into Exodus with the story of God releasing them from Egypt and sending them up toward the Promised Land. So, you know, this, this kind of you know, dovetails right, right into uh, the message of the book of Exodus. Comments and questions about this? So if they had all done this, it had been quite a load when they left <laughs> Egypt. Yes. <laughs> all the bones. That's true. As far as I know, he was the only one. But you're right. Because they had a lot of people when they, uh, when they left. But. Now, I forgot to bring a pen in with me. Somebody got an extra pen? Mm -hmm. I do. I'll just show you something. You probably, you guys, Debbie won't like this, I know. I don't know if the rest of you will or not, but actually I've got it written out here. Maybe I don't need the pen. Um, I can take this back. Um, I don't know if there's really anything to this, and I have no idea what ingenious fellow ever figured this out. Wow, you showed me this. Yes, but it's really cool, even if there's nothing to it. The ages of uh, death of these patriarchs form a really intriguing pattern at least it's intriguing somebody thought about it and maybe there's a point to it and there's enough number stuff in the bible i would hesitate to say there isn't the age at death how old was abraham one seventy five right one seventy five abraham how old was isaac one eighty how old was Jacob? 147. And now how old is Joseph? 110. Alright, these form quite a pattern. But it takes a little mathematics to see it. Abraham's 175 is 5 squared times 7. 25 times 7. Isaac's 180 is 6 squared times 5. 36 times 5 is 180. I'll show you how this is going in a second. Jacob's 147 is 7 squared 
times 3. 49 times 3. And Joseph's 110 is 5 squared plus 6 squared plus 7 squared times 1. So you go 5 squared, 6 squared, 7 squared, and then you add them all up, and you go 7, 5, 3, 1. Now, maybe that's just coincidental. I mean, maybe you could do that with all numbers, but that's a really cool pattern. And if there's anything to that, here's what it might be. That Joseph is the successor of the pattern, and he's the sum of his predecessors. He kind of sums up all the others in his uh, life. So I wouldn't say that, you know, overly dogmatically, but I do think that's cool, even if it's only ingenious. So you can do what you want to with it. Somebody had it. I don't know how anybody figured that out. That's amazing. It's, it's a cool pattern. It's really amazing. So I like math. So at least it's cool. All right. Anything else you want to say on the book of Genesis? All right. That's Genesis. Now we move to Matthew which actually has some things in common with Genesis.